You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network and currently sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. Lots to discuss off the back of Arsenal's Carabao Cup quarterfinal victory over Sunderland. And joining me to unpack it all is the brilliant Kaya Kainak from Football.London. Kaya, how are you doing, mate? I'm very good, mate. Thank you very much for having me back on. Nice. An absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Looking forward to Christmas. How's it all going? Yeah, looking forward to it. I was just telling you, I'm going back to see my family tonight. So um, tested negative on the lateral flows. So fingers crossed, should should be all okay. And it'd be nice to just see them all and spend a bit of time with them. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's what it's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It is a lot about the Boxing Day football as well. but. The family part is uh, is obviously the most important. Um, Kaya, let's let's kick off by discussing last night's game in general. Um, really positive performance from the Gunners. There was a, a short period I felt at the end of the first half where we looked a little bit out of sorts. We looked as though we were kind of giving Sunderland encouragement in in terms of their kind of pursuit of an equaliser. Um, what did you make of the performance overall? What were the kind of positives and, and maybe negatives if if you felt there were any? to take away. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was a good performance aside from those sort of 15 minutes after they went 2-0 up and Sunderland really could have equalised before half-time, which is strange to say, but if that had happened, I think that would have been pretty catastrophic and I think social media probably would have gone into meltdown and all the usual stuff we see when Arsenal surrender a lead, that kind of stuff. But there, there were problems in terms of, I don't think the 4-3-3 Arsenal played really worked that well. I think um, just Elneny on his own in the midfield while Smith-Rowe and Odegaard went forward. And then Cedric and Tabrez, who are two very attacking fullbacks, it just left Arsenal a little bit too exposed on the counter-attack. So some of them were able to get forward at will, and that's obviously how they got their goal. And then they created a few opportunities and set pieces as well, which I don't think uh, Nicolas Gervais will be too happy about. But Overall, of course, definitely a positive night. It's difficult to have too many complaints when your team wins 5-1 um, and puts their place into a semi-finals of a competition, which, um, you know, one game away from a final at Wembley, which I think Arsenal will be pretty happy with. And it's as good as it could have gone so far in this competition for Arsenal because obviously no Europe this season. They were looking like they need to take these cup competitions very seriously. And the side Arteta played was quite a serious side. And um, yeah, they got quite a serious result. The good side of it is that we can't play Manchester City in the Carabao Cup final as well, which is always a positive. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think we did um, we did perform pretty well for the most part. As I mentioned, that short period was a little bit concerning, but ultimately we managed to, to sort of push through it and get the result in the end. Now, one of the stars of the show, the star of the show, was, of course, Eddie Nketiah. And there's been a lot of talk about his future of late. It's understood that um, he's rejected Arsenal's recent contract offer. First of all, from a kind of journalist point of view, because you're a much better one than I am, um, what is your understanding of that situation? Is is it true, in your opinion, that Eddie Nketiah has turned down a contract offer from the Arsenal? Yeah, it is true. Um, I'm not sure I agree with the better journalist point, but I'll, I'll let that slide. No, you are. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a plastic one. You are. <laughs> no, I'm not having that. But um, yes, he has rejected the contract. He actually more or less confirmed it last night, I think, in his interview. 
he didn't say it, but he sort of nodded and he was asked about it by the Sky um, reporter mm. afterwards. So, yeah, he's rejected it and his issue is over game time, which I think is totally fair. He's not really getting that much game time aside from these Carabao Cup matches, which are one a month maybe. And he's 22 now. He's not a young kid anymore. He's sort of he's getting to an age where um, he wants to be playing week in, week out, which I think is fair enough. So he's he's looking elsewhere. I think that we've all seen the teams he's been linked with. I think um, Crystal Palace showed an interest last summer. Uh, Watford reportedly interested, and then he's also got interest from Borussia Mönchengladbach in Germany as well. But um, I can't see Arsenal being able to convince him to stay. I know Arsenal want to convince him to stay, and Arteta has been very publicly clear about that on several occasions. But that's not really going to change um, as things stand. Um, I think, yeah, Eddie's looking like he's going to he's going to go at the end of the season, which is unfortunate because he's the England under twenty one record goal scorer. Uh, he's someone who could be worth a lot of money for us on the transfer market. But in the end, they're going to end up probably losing him on a free, which is you know a real a real problem. And it's an issue Arsenal have, have made more of an attempt to fix. If you look at how they dealt with the Saka contract, they got in nice and early with the Smith Rowe contract and with the Flo Balogun contract as well. But this one seems to have just slip through the net which is a real a real shame for Arsenal because I think if they'd signed him up earlier we could be looking at sort of a Joe Willock style windfall for Arsenal which you know that extra money into the club is always always a good thing. So you say it's a shame and, and we've not spoken about this before so I really want to kind of dig into your kind of view and mindset around this. Do you feel like we should be desperately trying to keep hold of Eddie and Ketty or is that is that kind of what you're suggesting? So my, my feeling is Arsenal should definitely be trying to sign Eddie Nketiah up to a new contract to protect his value. Beyond that, from a playing perspective, I think he would be fine for him to go. Um, my my thing with Nketiah is I think he's never really had a chance to sort of play in an Arsenal team when they're playing well. So a lot of the reason why we think he'll never make it at Arsenal at sort of that senior first team level is because of that run he had in the first team when... Arteta first came in and just around Project Restart and that time when he didn't really impress too much. Um, but I think what we would all say is that Eddie Nketiah is a fox-in-the-box type striker and it's difficult to be a fox-in-the-box when your team plays nowhere near the box. And we all saw at the start of last season that Arsenal were way back, taking ages to get the ball forward. And then when you do that and you're a lone striker up front, it makes it a lot more difficult for you. Now Arsenal were closer to the opposition goal and we saw with those chances all three of them came inside the six yard box yesterday and he took them so when he gets those opportunities in the box generally you know that Everton game aside he does take them so I'd like to see him given a run um just at first team level just to see now that Arsenal are playing as a better more fluid attacking unit if he'd be able to take advantage of that that said if Arsenal want to be challenging for Champions Leagues Premier Leagues those kind of things I don't think Eddie Nketiah is that level of striker I think he will be a really good player but I just don't think he'll ever be quite at that level, unfortunately, in terms of his all-round game. So I'd love to be proved wrong in the long term, just because it'd be great to see Eddie go and do well elsewhere. But I think from an Arsenal perspective, I think he'll he'll never quite be able to have what it takes to be the, the regular starting centre-forward for the Gunners, who are probably going to go and get a, a striker next summer anyway. Yeah, I, I think that too. And I think one of my big concerns is, and, and you mentioned rightly, that he is very, very effective inside the six-yard box, in and around the penalty spot. But I don't feel he offers enough outside of that, outside of the penalty area. I don't think he's as good in his link-up play as in Alexander Lacazette. Um, works hard. You can't fault his work rate. I think that's always been evident with Eddie Nketiah. He will run channels if asked to. He will pressure people. He will press. But it's just, 
the link-up play outside of the penalty area and in other areas of the pitch just for me isn't strong enough. I think for me, while I'd like to see him get given a go, I don't really think we can afford to take Alexander Lacazette out, for example, who gives the team so much more and put Eddie and Ketir in. I think it's too great a risk at this point. And I keep saying it, you know, the fact that we're not in Europe and the fact that we're playing less games as a consequence of that. Yes, it has benefits, but the negative is that these fringe players, if you like, are not getting the game time to work and show the manager that they're worthy of a place in the starting eleven when it comes to the Premier League. And so these opportunities that were always limited are now even further kind of few and far between. And it's a big problem. Um, I agree with you on the extension of the contract thing. I think if we could do that, it would make sense. If we could do that and maybe say to Eddie and Ketia, look, we know you want game time. We know that's the problem. We know that's the stumbling point. How about you sign a new contract with us? We'll give you another season. And if, you know, you you see after that season that it's not working out, we'll, you know, put some kind of gentleman's agreement in place whereby a certain amount would allow you to let him leave. I don't know. I, I think what Eddie would say to that would probably be, I don't think I've got another season. I don't, I think he'd argue he hasn't got another season to wait in his career. He's, he's not a young guy anymore. He's been around for a while. I mean, he made his first team debut in Arsene Wenger's last year. So he's been around Arsenal first team set up for a while. He's not quite made it through yet. So I think... He'll argue that he's 22 now. He's beyond under 21 level, beyond under 23 level. He needs to be playing games. And the only way he's ever going to get better and turn into the player, we all know he probably could be, is by playing those games. So unfortunately, I think, yeah, as as much as I agree, that would be Arsenal's probably best bet of trying to convince him. I just don't see him going for it. What is his level then? Because I think we both agree that he's not, you know, elite Premier League level. He's He's not, a Champions League level striker, I don't think. I'm not even sure he's a Europa League uh, level striker. That's my opinion. I think when you get to the latter stages of the Europa League, you'll see that he's maybe not quite up for it. Group stages, when you're playing teams with all due respect, like Dundalk or you know teams that we've met in recent seasons, you can get away with it. So my opinion is that he's a bottom half of the Premier League striker. It might sound a bit harsh, but that's my view. Where would you... Ranking, what kind of club would be a good fit for Eddie and Ketty at this moment? In your well, a little bit higher than that, I think. Um, I think he could be a striker um, at a Europa League team, in my opinion. I think he can get to that level. Um, I think he's he's got a little bit of a way to go still. So right now, I wouldn't say he, he'd be able to get into a Europa League side. But I think if he went to a team, I don't know, let's say like a Brighton, who creates so many chances but never seems to have anyone to finish them, he for could sure. be a great player for them. Uh, someone like that, or he could maybe go a little bit lower down the league and work his way up, but just somewhere where he's going to get regular game time and lots of opportunities to score goals. Um, he will he will take those opportunities. Teams like Brighton create them, struggling to think of other teams right now. But if you look at what Brighton have been doing this season, if they had a proper striker, they'd be challenging for Europa League, maybe even pushing Champions League. That's how good they've been, um, even though their fans seem to be booing them an awful lot, which is very strange. But... Um, yeah, I think he's that's that's his sort of level, sort of Europa Conference League, Europa League. But, you know, look, he has a potential to surprise us. Lots of Arsenal players have done in the past when they've left the club. And, um, you know, he might be another one. Interesting. Brighton's a good shout. It, it feels like it would fit in with his game, doesn't it? And, and as you say, they create a ton of chances. They just don't, um, you know, they just don't. Don't put, put them, them away. away. They just yeah. don't stick them in the back of the net. And Eddie Nketiah has shown, at the very least, that in those situations, he can produce and, and he's done so brilliantly. Another player that I wanted to get your thoughts on, Kaya, is uh, is Nicolas Pepe, because 
I thought he had a questionable first half yesterday for the most part, but dazzled in the second half. What changed for Nicolas Pepe between the first half and the second half? I think he started getting the ball a lot more. So I think in the first half, maybe Arsenal were a little bit slow to get it out to him. And I think also Granit Xhaka's arrival onto the pitch changed things. So playing in that double pivot meant that Arsenal's midfield just had that little bit more time in the build-up to pick out those passes in behind. And then once Arsenal realised that that was an avenue where they could create dangerous opposition, uh, dangerous positions, sorry, they did it time and time again. And Pepe had that left back on toast, not made them twice. Um, assist for Patino, assist for Nketia. Very good player. But these are the kind of things we know Nicola Pepe can do. And I've, I've tweeted this today and I've got a lot of flack for it. Um, but I, I think that's not the kind of thing that's going to make him a starter in Mikel Arteta's team. Because Arteta knows he can do that. What is going to make him a starter is what he probably wasn't doing so well, which is the defensive side of things, switching off every now and again, holding onto the ball just that little bit too long, stuff like that. So um, a mixed night for Pepe, like you say. But um, yeah, he he improved in the second half once the sort of the build up behind him just got that little bit slicker when Jacker came onto the pitch. Yeah, I think so too. I think I talked about it in our post match podcast that the introduction of Jacker made a lot of difference yesterday. Just gave us that stability, didn't it, and control in the midfield that maybe we were missing at times when. Sunderland were overloading us in those areas. We that 4-1-4-1 formation, which we seem to see at the beginning of the game, it just it leaves the guy at the foot of the midfield just a little bit exposed, doesn't it? In yeah. terms of having to cover too much ground. And, and you know, Mohamed El Neni, we all know what he is. He's he's a very um reliable player in terms of he's going to give you a certain level week in, week out. But we all understand that it's not the level that we need to move forward necessarily. Um, who else kind of impressed you last night? Because there was a few players that got the opportunity to, uh, you know, make a case or stake a claim for a place, at least knocking on the door of the first eleven. Who outside of Pepe and Enketia sort of impressed you? I thought Rob Holding was really good, actually. Um, I know that the Arsenal defence didn't have that much to do, especially in the second half. But And also, I don't see this as the kind of performance that's going to see him sort of displace Ben White or Gabriel. But it'd be easy for Holding, who hasn't played football really, obviously had a cameo against, I think it was West Ham, but he hasn't really played that much football for quite a while to sort of be quite rusty and quite sort of, I don't know, not sharp. Um, I didn't think that was the case. And he's a real leader in the Arsenal side. He's part of that leadership group. We saw him when um, the Arsenal players unfortunately suffered some racist abuse, what alleged racist abuse um, at the weekend. He was the one who took the lead and went and reported it. He's the leader within the Arsenal dressing room and he's got a real status within the Arsenal squad. So he might not be a first team regular, but he also showed a nice bit of playing out from the back. There was one really nice ball over the top to Nicola Pepe and he's actually really defensively solid. He gets a lot of stick, but I really like Rob Holding as a player. I think he's limited in terms of possession and, I don't see him ever being able to dribble through the pitch like Ben White does or play out from the back like Ben White does. But I think as a backup and as a character to have in the squad, Rob Holding is a fantastic player. And I think Arsenal will probably have a, a difficult battle on their hands keeping him and convincing him to stay. Another one, a bit like Eddie Nketiah, who will be saying, I need minutes. And I don't think Rob Holding will want to stay if he's not playing regular football. And I think that's fair enough because he's someone who could definitely be playing Premier League football for another team. Do you think that Rob Holding and Ben White is a better combination, given those limitations that you mentioned about Rob Holding, than Holding and Gabriel would be? It's a good question. Um, any defensive combination with Gabriel in it, in my opinion, is going to be better. I think he's just such a good player. I really like Gabriel. But I argue, yeah, like you say, they're probably quite similar players in terms of they're both, they like to get into the, the nitty gritty of the defending, the, the physical side of the game. Um 
the duels with the centre forward. They they both love that side of things. Whereas Ben White's pretty good at that side of stuff as well. And I think it will be sort of lazy analysis to say that he doesn't like any of that kind of things. But where he excels is that dribbling out from the back, that playing out from the back, that passing. That's what he was signed for to start Arsenal's attacks just a little bit further up the pitch. So yeah, I think that's a good idea, and it works pretty well. Um, the other night they were quite exposed by the lack of cover from the fullbacks and midfield, but I think in the second half they they were excellent, the pair of them, and yeah, they could work together nicely. Be interesting to see if indeed he is called upon, Rob Holding, uh, for a longer period of time, how he copes with that. Uh, just before we continue, just a quick message from our sponsors, ProPrep. ProPrep is the perfect study tool for uni students undertaking science, technology, engineering or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. They provide bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course you are studying, which can be accessed from any device at any time, and it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials, and after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with practice exercises and questions. You can even submit questions to the professors who will send you back a video answer within 24 hours. There's a special offer available just for Chronicles of Aguna listeners. If you go over to the website, proprep.uk slash info slash football, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial without inputting any credit card information. So if you know anybody studying uh, any of those uh, mentioned subjects who needs a bit of help, needs a bit of support, and just needs somewhere to find some really useful material, send them over to ProPrep. And if you support ProPrep, you're supporting the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. So please do check them out. Um, Kaya, I want to get your thoughts on on a rumour that's come out this afternoon. And I'm throwing this at you because we didn't discuss talking about this at all. Um, but there is a few people in the chat discussing a report that has been doing the rounds this afternoon with regards to Felipe Coutinho and a potential loan move to Arsenal. I mean, he's a player we've been linked with time and time again. I'm finding it hard to believe that that is, that is likely. What's your initial reaction to that? Uh, I, I don't think it's true. I'm, I'm wary of like completely dismissing um, another journalist reports without really knowing anything or having done much research into it. So I won't go that far, but um, we've been linked with, uh, Arsenal have been linked with uh, Felipe Coutinho plenty of times in the past and it hasn't ended up happening. But then again, you know, I didn't think the David Luiz deal would happen. I didn't necessarily think the William deal would happen and they ended up happening. So never say never. But what I would say is sort of that influence Kia Jirabjian seemed to have on the Arsenal transfer window policy early doors um, seems to have sort of reduced a lot um, in the past window. And I would argue it would be surprising if Arsenal were to go for a player who will probably demand as high wages as someone like Coutinho, maybe as part of a loan agreement, less wages. But um, that would be that would really surprise me if uh, if that did happen. I, I'd, I'm pretty confident in saying that it won't. It's one of those things that just would be a complete contradiction of yeah. everything that Arsenal did in the summer, wouldn't it? And I know that Arteta talks quite often about the need for you know seniority around the team and the influence that those players have and how important they are. But I, like you, I don't really see that happening. But I just wanted to touch on it because it is being discussed in, in the chat box uh, by some of our viewers and listeners. And yeah, interesting one. It's just one that won't go away. It's like Solomon Kalou all over again, isn't it? <laughs> the the rumour that just pops up every time there's a rumour. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know exactly what the transfer windows are like. I can imagine that you're snowed under during the transfer window. And it's one of the difficulties is siphoning out the, the reliable from the crap, right? Yeah, it's going to be a busy January. Uh, that's for sure. I think 
I don't know. I'm just looking at things as they are. I'd be surprised if Arsenal go in and sign many players. Obviously, we don't know what's going to go on with the Aubameyang situation. My colleague Chris Wheatley at Football London is reporting today that he's got interest from clubs and thinking France, Italy, and Spain. So maybe there's some sort of agreement that could be made there. But um, even I think if Arsenal were to get rid of Aubameyang, maybe they'd look to bring a striker a bit ahead of schedule because they're looking to probably bring in one in the summer. But I don't know. Maybe. Central midfield would be somewhere they'd look at as well. But after Charlie Patino's performance last night, potentially no. Who knows? We'll come on to talk about Charlie Patino in a moment. But what's your take on the Abamyang situation? Because I've been asked this question time and time again over the past week or so. Did I like the fact that Mikel Arteta went out and spoke about it the way he did? Although he didn't give much detail, he made it clear what the issue was. What's your stance on the way that this has been handled and, and the reaction, uh, sorry, the action taken by Mikel Arteta and the club? So my, my stance is I think he probably did have to be stripped to the captaincy after another disciplinary breach. I think if it had been a first time, fair enough, but it, it hadn't. And it's a shame that it had to happen so publicly is my only issue with it. I think maybe they could have just done it behind closed doors or maybe Aubameyang could have sort of been rehabilitating the team back better. So maybe Arteta could have said something along the lines of, look, he's still a very important player. He's not going to be captain anymore because of this reason. And that's really important. But he's still going to be involved. He hasn't done that. He's left him out for a really long time and he's not really explained what he needs to do to get back in. He's training on his own at the minute, which is a lot <laughs> to have to deal with. And personally, I think maybe a bit too severe a punishment. But listen, you see Stampy as authority and Arsenal were keen to avoid another situation like they had with Ozil where they had another player who was very high wages but fell out with the manager and then didn't seem to be involved in the first team plans at all. I would say... Aubameyang is probably still the best striker Arsenal have, so maybe they should try and find a way to use him. But at the same time, it's difficult to see how he comes back from this, from the original sort of disciplinary breach and being stripped to the captaincy. If he was brought straight back in, fair enough. But after this long a gap, and he's going to go off to AFCON, we assume he probably won't be involved on Boxing Day against Norwich. He'll go off to AFCON very soon, and then you know it's difficult to see how he comes back in after that. But, you know, who knows? Stranger things have happened at Arsenal and he could be brought back in. Yeah, and I think you make a really valid point with regards to his quality. I think he is, as you say, probably still the best striker at Arsenal. But what what the problem is, is that the team seems to have kind of tactically evolved away from him. And, and I think that's what we've seen. It's not that Lacazette is a, is a better striker it's that some of the attributes that Lacazette brings to the table just appear to bring out more in the players around him and that's obviously been key um for me with regards to him potentially coming back it feels like the ball is in his court now and and I guess reading between the lines it feels as though he's clearly not responded well to the action taken by the football club and Mikel Arteta and that's why this is continuing would you kind of come to that conclusion as well I wouldn't want to speculate just because um, I, I don't quite know the intricacies of it. Um, Arteta has sort of been very cards close to his chest about it, which would maybe imply there's been he's not been too happy with the way he's responded. But then, listen, Aubameyang, for all the sort of the, the, the fast cars and the, the Instagram stuff and that kind of stuff we see, he's he's always been a very dedicated professional. And there's never been any sort of indication that he's ever really thrown his toys out of the pram, even last season when things weren't going quite well for him. And even last season after that public handling of the disciplinary breach, I know that he wasn't very happy with the fact it was handled so publicly yet again. But at the same time, listen, I I think this has probably gone on a while and it's, it's going to be an issue until 
it comes to sort of some form of conclusion. So I, I wouldn't want to speculate that Aubameyang has sort of fallen out with Arteta behind the scenes and that he's not reacted to it well. But um, I guess I, I can understand why people would, would read into it that way. Yeah, no, fair enough. And and mine is purely based on a hunch and, and based on kind of trying to read in between the lines. Um, you know, it, it just seems to me like he's not said, you know, this is... Um, you know, Abami, he, he would have come out and said, you know, Abamyang, well, he could have come out and said Abamyang, you know, is is has been excluded for this amount of time because of a disciplinary breach. And he could have, you know, poured cold water over the fire by saying, actually, he will rejoin the team and he will join us to train again. But it, it, the fact that he's not saying anything just to me anyway, looking from the outside, suggests that this is an ongoing issue. Yeah, and he was that can't be good. He was asked something along the lines of, you do know that this is going to be a problem. It's going to have to be addressed at some point. And he sort of gave his standard answer of, he's not available for section for this game. We'll assess the next game. That maybe suggests there's something Aubameyang needs to do before the next game and then it will be all okay. But um, he... Well, I'm a nice Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you get a nice Christmas present. But Arteta was very clear this morning that it wasn't like about apologising. He said that in his press conference. He said the words, it's not about that. When he was asked, does all Aubameyang need to do is apologise? And he said, it's not about that. So I don't really know what it could be about at this point. Um, it's, a, it's a saga that's going to carry on for ages and ages. And it, it seems like he's potentially open to leaving. And reports coming out from ESPN today also suggest that Arsenal were open to selling. So we'll see what happens in January. I'm sure that's going to that's gonna drag and drag throughout January. And it'll be interesting to see if Aubameyang is able to focus on his international duties with the Gabon at the African Cup of Nations. Indeed. Uh, just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't already done so, please do hit the like button if you're watching us live on YouTube at the moment. There's over a couple of hundred of you watching us live across the multiple platforms right now. There'll be plenty more tuning in uh, on playback and on the audio, but we're really light on like. So hit the like button if you haven't done so already. I hate asking, but it really, really does help uh, the channel and helps get the video out to as many people as possible. I guess a nice way to finish up the show, Kaya, is to discuss Charlie Patino, who not only made his Arsenal debut last night, but got on the score sheet as well. There's been a lot of hype around him. There's been a lot of noise around him in recent months. And he finally got his opportunity. And although it wasn't the most difficult of finishes or the most spectacular of goals, he's certainly made them a mark and an impression. How delighted were you to see him, uh, him get on the score sheet? And what was the reaction like inside the stadium? Oh, it was, it was amazing. People were singing his name before he even came onto the pitch. The sort of old Charlie Patino to that old, old Santi Cazorla type chant. Yeah. Amazing, amazing night. Um, I think everyone was absolutely delighted for him. After, as he was sort of coming off the pitch, I think every single one of the backroom staff, all the coaching staff sort of stayed, sort of like were ruffling his hair, giving him a hug as he came off. And it was nice. It's a nice thing. I think everyone really, there's a really strong will for him to succeed. And I've spoken to people at the academy today and they're all over the moon about the fact that he's... Um, sort of done so well on his debut it's a real testament to them and Patino is someone who has always been head of the curve in terms of his development so he was captaining the England under 16 side when he was age 14 that same year he went and played for the under under Arsenal under 18s age 14 years old I mean that's unbelievable then obviously pandemic came along and things got I think shut down as he was developing and starting to become a bit more of a regular when he became a little bit older for the under 18s after that, you know, he's in the under-23s and he's only 18 years old. Now he's in the first team, he's only 18 years old. It's unbelievable. And 
watching him, he he's I think people have compared him to Phil Foden. I don't think that's the case um, stylistically. I think the reason people have compared him to Phil Foden is just because of the pathway he's going to take. So he will be someone who I think Arsenal are hoping to keep at the club rather than sending out on loan like they did with an Emil Smith-Rowe, for example. So, yeah, he'll be sticking around by the looks of things, at least for the end of the season. He won't be going out on loan in January. Maybe they'll make a decision based on what they do in the transfer market next summer. But someone who Arsenal really like, Arteta's a big fan of. He's been training with the first team for a while now. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a really nice moment and fully deserved. He's not a number 10 in the position where he played yesterday, usually. He's normally a little bit deeper. But I think he's someone who, yeah, I think we'll have to get used to having these conversations about Charlie Fatino because he's a very exciting young guy and he seems like a really nice guy as well. So very happy for him. Yeah, me too. Absolutely delighted. Are you impressed by the way Mikel Arteta appears to be nurturing some of the young talent at Arsenal? Because it's if he is going to be successful here, it's a big part of it because we don't have the resources that City do, that Chelsea do. Um, you know, we, we don't have five or six years to get back on track like Liverpool allowed Jurgen Klopp. It, we're in a place where we really need to get back in the Champions League ASAP. And does it feel to you like Arteta is doing a good job of at least utilising that part of what Arsenal has to offer? Yeah, um, it helps that the youngsters are as good as they are. But I think Arteta's been very clear that sort of if you're good enough, you're old enough. That old cliche. So he's not, I don't think he's too fussed about the age in terms of whether he thinks the players are ready to produce the quality on a consistent basis. So someone like Asaka has been pretty much a first team regular throughout Arteta's time. Smith Rowe took a little bit longer to come in. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli took a little bit longer, but he's very careful to sort of individually tailor his approach to each in, to each individual player. He's not looking for a one size fits all approach to youth development. And that's something that's sort of persisted throughout the entire club. So if you look down to the Academy where Per Mertesag is in charge now, um, that one-size-fits-all approach has been sort of thrown out the window. They look at the individual players and they look at what those guys need to succeed and they're very careful about how they develop those young guys. And it's working really well for Arsenal right now. And we're talking about Eddie Nketi, who's another academy product. We mentioned Joe Willock earlier. Ainsley Maitland-Niles wasn't even involved last night. And that's before you come to Saka, Smith-Rowe, uh, Patino, Martinelli, Reese Nelson is on loan at the minute. There's so many good Arsenal youngsters at the minute who have really come into the first team and made an impact. So... Yeah, credit to Mikel Arteta for using them so well. He's obviously been very fortunate to have inherited such a fantastic crop of youngsters. So credit also has to be given at the same time to Per Mertesacker, Kevin Betsy, Steve Bald, all the guys who were involved in the sort of the formation of these these young guys. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And exciting times indeed. Um, Kaya, thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate you giving up your time at what is a very busy time and, and just before Christmas as well. Uh, want to wish you a Merry Christmas uh, and to your family as well. And uh, let people know how they can follow you, how they can keep up with the great work that you do. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm going to be on at Kaya Kainak 97. Uh, that's where I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, Kaya Kainak Journalist, I think is the name of the page. And then, of course, football.london website is where you can find all the articles and other good stuff and all of that. And Merry Christmas to you too. Merry Christmas to everybody watching, you know, whether you're celebrating or not. I hope you guys can all have a nice bit of time with your families over the next coming days until the football's back on Boxing Day. Absolutely. Completely echo that. Kaya, thank you so much. Thank you to all of you for tuning in don't forget if you're watching on youtube hit the like button subscribe to the channel if you're new if you want to go one further and become a member you can do so by clicking on the link in the description check out our sponsors pro prep and uh, this is the penultimate episode before i'm going to take a bit of a christmas break so we're going to do this one 
book. We've just finished this one. We've got one more coming up tomorrow. And then I am going to take Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off because I am jam-packed on Boxing Day. Haven't even broke it to the missus yet that I'm not going to get around <laughs> on Boxing Day. But uh, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, uh, going to take a couple of days out as well um, because it is much needed. And uh, we'll catch up with you all soon. Until next time, take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.